The story of the Bible is not so much asking the question, does God exist? It assumes it does. And it's not even so much giving us an explanation of why bad things happen to us. It's basically telling us the story about a God who comes close to us, compelled by a burning desire to occupy human hearts and work to create a heaven on earth. Jesus is the one who inhabits, who through his incarnation came to earth, inhabits our inmost parts, walks around, is, is present in every aspect of our lives. And he's the one that we meet as we go out into the world of every week. Now, I just read Matthew 25, this story of the sheep and the goats, as it's known. And probably the, when you've read this story or you've read things about it or you've heard sermons about it, the primary thing that you have heard talked about is this eternal destiny. There's the group that goes to eternal life and there's the group that goes to eternal punishment. And then the question of, well, what do you need to do to be in the group of the sheep? And what do you need to do to make sure that you're not in the group of the goats? I would like to ask you to leave those images out of the picture for right now. Put them aside. It's not that they're not there. It's not even that they're not important. But for right now, put them aside. What's happening in this parable? What's Jesus saying? And he's saying, of course, to, to the sheep and the goats, when you either went out into the world and interacted with other people and visited them and gave them what they need and helped them, and you know where I'm going, of course, what happened then? Well, you met me. If you didn't go out, you didn't meet me. You can't just meet me sitting in your prayer room. You meet me when you go out into the world, in the prisons and in the hospitals and in the funeral homes and on the workplace and in the theater and in the concert hall and in the forest. There you meet me. One of the commentaries uh, that I use quite regularly puts it this way. The surprise of the sheep and the goats is not at their being told that they acted from love to Christ, but that Christ himself was the personal object of all their deeds. They found Christ hungry. They found Christ. They supplied Christ with food. They brought water to Christ. They saw him naked and shivering and put clothing 
on him. They paid him visits when he was in prison for the truth and sat by his bedside when laid down with sickness. Where is God? Where is Jesus? He's out there in the world, especially with the people who are suffering the most. Diana puts it this way, and now we can put the quote up, thanks. Christianity proclaims that beyond our wildest imaginations, imaginings, the ever-creating love of the cosmos made its way into our small, hurting world, living and dying with us and for us. And he promises never, never, never to leave us alone. Love is in the world and inside of us, dwelling with us, even as we dwell in it. Then there are these wonderful verses from Colossians 1. First one is 117. And he, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things, Note twice the word all, which I take very literally, all things. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That chair is being held together in Christ, as are you. And everything, and everyone else. This all has no limits. Therefore, Paul says later in chapter 3, go to the next verse, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, by barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, no divisions anymore, anywhere, but Christ is all, there's all again, and in, what? All. Wherever you go in this world, you meet Christ. Where is God in Christ? He is everywhere. There is no place where he is not. And you may be aware of this, but I've been, especially in the last few years, thinking a lot and reflecting a lot upon this idea of, of the interconnectedness of everything. I often say it this way, no one is free until we all are free. Or this famous quote from Leela Watson if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. We are all connected. Your liberation is bound up with my liberation. And from Sally McFaig in her book, A New Climate for Theology, we meet God in and through the world if we are ever to meet God. God is not out there 
way up high somewhere distant, or back there in the past, or yet to be, but hidden in the most ordinary things of our ordinary lives. If we cannot find him in the world, in its beauty and in its suffering, then for us bodily, earthly creatures, it is probably not to be found at all. And then from Wendell Berry, love as the very being of God has to wear a face. And that face is our neighborhood, our neighbors, other creatures, the earth, and its inhabitants. I had an experience this week where I was talking with someone, and this particular situation, I won't go into detail, is um, uh, this person joining a team of which I'm also a part And after we had kind of gone through the formalities and the administrative things and what we needed to do, I said to her, I said, your well-being in this particular work is connected to my well-being. And my well-being is connected to your well-being. And the well-being of everybody to whom we are giving our services is connected to my well-being and to your well-being. You're not just working alone, or you're not just working as part of a team, and I'm not working alone. No, we are connected. And when you're doing well, I'm doing well. And when I'm doing well, you're doing well. And when you're doing well, the people you're serving are doing well. It was the first time I'd ever in that setting expressed it like that. But I saw something happen in that person. I'm part of a whole. And we're dependent upon one another. And we work together and we live together and we interact with one another. And it is really finally true that your well-being is tied up with my well-being and, from my perspective, when I meet you, when I interact with you, when I serve you, when I do what I need to do, whether anyone else sees it or not, I am meeting Jesus right there in that place. And I wanted to read Psalm 23, because Psalm 23, which I'm I'm sure all of you know, quite a familiar psalm, is also this psalm that talks about the presence of God. In every single place, and in every single circumstance. And it starts off, of course, the Lord is my shepherd. And you remember Jesus, of course, saying, I am the good shepherd. So now it's not some distant shepherd way up there. No, it's the shepherd who's right down here, who, as we talked about last week, opens the door and goes in and out of the sheepfold with us. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Feel the presence? Beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me again in the paths of righteousness, the paths of justice, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that third tier, I will fear no evil for you are what? With me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil which is this healing thing. And this thing that, that moves someone into, a, into, a, into an office, into a role, into a task. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, the cup of wine. Surely, goodness and mercy. And God is goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's not just some future date. Starting now. I dwell in the house of the Lord starting now. Forever. And yesterday, uh, my wife showed me a poem that came across her Facebook screen that I thought in a totally different way, but, but very uh, beautifully caught this same idea. It's a poem by Mary Oliver, the famous poet Mary Oliver, and it's called Mysteries, Yes. Truly, we live with mysteries too marvelous to be understood. How grass can be nourishing in the mouths of the lambs. How rivers and stones are forever in allegiance with gravity while we ourselves dream of rising. How two hands touch and the bonds will never be broken. How people come from delight or the scars of damage to the comfort of a poem. Let me keep my distance always from those who think they have the answers. Let me keep company always with those who say, look and laugh in astonishment and bow their heads. We've talked about Jesus as a friend, as a teacher, 
as a Savior, as a Lord, as a way, today as a presence. If you were to be asked to write a chapter, an additional chapter with this book, what would you write about? Who is Jesus for you? Maybe you just expand on one of these. Or maybe you could think of another whole chapter. One of the things I think of is Jesus as healer. And that's the challenge I'd like to give, give you at the end of this series. Who is Jesus for you? Not the distant Jesus in the sky. Not the king before whom we tremble necessarily. But as he walks with us through this life. What is he? Who is he for you?